Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. The past few weeks we have been looking at prayer and this month and we've been focusing on prayer. We've been intentional with being dedicated to prayer and thank you to those who joined us yesterday evening and were able to make it for our monthly first of the month, first Saturday prayer time together. We had a great time yesterday evening in prayer. And so today we are going to continue our study on one of the greatest calls to prayer in Scripture. You find it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. You've probably got it memorized now. We're on week 4. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. How many knows our land, our nation needs a healing? Could I say today it's, it's, it's more encompassing than just the USA. Our land is that which we possess, that which we occupy. Everything around us needs a healing. I would dare say we could look into our land. If I could, could speak on that term for just a moment to us. We could look into our families and we could see where there's a need for healing. Maybe our extended family, maybe even our immediate families. We can see places where we need God to work and heal our land. Well, God promises He would. If we will be obedient and we will put this verse into action in our lives, God calls us to four calls of prayer. First, they is humble, then to pray, then seek, and turn. And if we will do that in response, God promises three sovereign moves. He says he will hear, forgive, and heal. Man, I want God to hear me. I want God to forgive me. And I want God to heal me. So it's not too much for us to respond to the call of God's request we find in this key verse today. We began the study with talking about humility. Humility is not humiliation. Humility is simply getting our priorities in the correct order. Where God's will is more important than my will. And when God's will is first, then we can follow next into the second call of prayer, which is the act of actually praying. It's difficult to have a true conversation with God if His will isn't the priority for which we are having a discussion with Him. Just think of the irony. Approaching God with your will more important than His and what you're going to talk about. 
Now, to sit here on a Sunday morning and say that out loud seems ridiculous. But how many times have we been guilty of that? I've been guilty of that before. Lord, you know, I'm coming to you today, and I've got it all figured out, and I've got a plan, and this is just how we need it to happen, Lord. And Lord, I'm just really telling you and giving you an advisory notice that this is how it's going to work out. And he's like, yeah, really? This is why true prayer has to first come from a heart that's been humbled before God. A heart that says, all right, Lord, my great idea may not be the best idea. What's your will? What's your plan? What is it you seek to do in this situation? So first we humble ourselves and then we actually pray. And last week we talked about what it means to seek the face of God. There are times we pray and then there are times we pray. There are times we get a hold of heaven. There are times we petition the throne of God. There are times we walk into the very presence of God and we don't leave until we've been satisfied and we know that God has heard our prayer. Today we are going to speak on the fourth and the final calling of prayer in our lives and it is for us to Turn from our wicked ways. Now you may say it in your heart today, pastor, preacher, we're all at church. Why are you going to preach on turning from our wicked ways at church? Well, hold on. Don't check out. Matter of fact, I'd ask you to check in. And let's just see what the word of God has for us today. Living for the moment will lead us down a dark road. I see heads nodding. That's because we've been there. We've done that. We've said, this is the moment that matters, and I'm going to live this moment to its greatest fulfillment. I'm going to do whatever I want to do in this moment. And we've learned one moment's decision can lead us down a road we never intended to go down. This type of living voids God's principles in our lives. There are those who simply live from one moment to the next, filling each moment with their own greatest desires. And in the end, when they come off of the euphoric high of their own self-will, they find themselves at a dead-end road. We've found ourselves at dead-end roads. And these things void God's principles and often lead us to living in direct obedience to God and His will for our life. Now, how do you spell disobedience in the Bible? S-I-N. That's how it's spelled in the Bible. Disobedience from God's will is simply sin. It's nothing more than that and it's nothing less than that. It's just not obeying what God wants from us. Well, that seems like it's an impossible task to live above sin. Well, that's why we have the Holy Ghost. That's why we have the Spirit of God in us, leading us and guiding us and helping us to live according to God's will. We commit actions that break the commandments of God in our lives. And this disobedience is even the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. And disobedience always causes there to be a division 
between us and God. You know, sin always takes you further away from God than you intended to go. Sin is like the individual who gets in the little rowboat at the edge of the pond and says, I just want to sit here and enjoy the the edge of the waters for a moment. They get so wrapped up and carried away and and when the beauty of the the scenery and and maybe they see wildlife on the shore and they're all captured in that and before long the wind has blown and they've drifted out into the middle of the pond. They're in a place they never expected to be. Maybe the other phrase would be up the creek without a paddle. That's what sin does to us. Nobody says, hey, I'm leaving church today. I'm going to become the biggest, baddest sinner ever. No, there was a song popular a few years ago. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. You give up a little bit here and you grab a little bit of the world there and you give up a little bit more here and you grab a little bit more of the world there and it slowly but surely drifts. And before long you turn around and you realize you're in a place you never intended to be. You're in a place in a situation you never imagined you would be. This is what sin does to us. It's what sin does to our families. It's what sin does to our friends. It, it drifts us away from God and we find, our, find ourselves in places further away from God than we intended to do. For us, sin brings pleasure to our adversary, Satan, because he knows it's the string that he can pull us away from God with. It also becomes the inroads for his mission statement. Did you know hell has a mission statement? Steal, kill, and destroy. Our mission statement's too long. I probably need to figure out how to make it short and concise. That's what they tell you you're supposed to do. But you know, you've, you go to places, organizations, corporations, even churches, and they'll have their, their three main words on the wall. Grow, connect together, whatever it is. You go to hell in their entryway in hell it says, steal, kill, destroy. That's his mission statement what he wants to do in our lives and he'll do whatever he has to to pull us away from God slowly but surely so his will can be accomplished in our lives if we follow the decisions of our flesh and our carnality it takes us down a road that eventually involves death and theft and destruction but I have good news today today can be a fresh start Today can be a new beginning. Today can be a day where all the things of the past are defined and left as the past. And today it begins new and fresh in Him. 2 Chronicles 7.14 This fourth call to prayer says that we would turn from our wicked ways. What does it mean in this context of Scripture to be wicked? I 
Well, I'm going to tell you as soon as I get back where I'm supposed to be in my notes. That's what happens when you click the wrong page. This is why you're supposed to copy it and paste it in your notes. But that would have added like pages. To be wicked. It's revelatory. It means to be bad or to be evil. (laughs) You took that long to look that up, pastors, just to tell us? No, no, no. This is the base of what it means to be evil. But it means to be evil naturally or morally. It means to be adverse in our lives. It's long. Let me give you just the, the words that tie into this, this Hebrew root of what it means to be wicked. Disagreeable. Unpleasant. Unhappy. Displeasing. Of a bad value. Worse. Worse than something, unhappy, unkind, deeds and actions that are distressful, misery, injury, calamity, doing what is wrong, injury, and evil. That sounds wicked. But if you go to the root word of wicked in the Hebrew, this is where I want us to get to. All of that comes from this root word in wicked. To spoil, literally by breaking to pieces. This is what God is talking about. Turn from our wicked ways. Turn from being so spoiled and doing things in life that it causes life to be broken into pieces. That's wickedness. Sometimes we hear the word wicked and we automatically jump to some higher level or, or more depraved level of sin. Do you know, I don't know that God has degrees of sinfulness. I don't know that his blood is, is more required for this sin than that sin. I don't know there's a point, and I don't find in Scripture anywhere that that says, for this list of sins, you need this much blood atonement, and for, for this list of sins, you only need a drop or two. And so when we hear wickedness, we have to be careful that we don't jump to the conclusion that, well, that's not for me, that's just for the people who are, you know, wicked. No, wickedness is anything that that works in our life that's bad or evil, but causes life to be broken. Well, what gets broken in our lives? Relationships get broken in our lives because of wickedness. Our own spirits can become broken because of wickedness. Our emotions can be broken because of wickedness. We can become financially flat broke. Because of wickedness. Wickedness is anything that leads us 
to brokenness. And I want to tell you today, God's asking us to turn from those things which break you and trust Him to put us back together. If His people, which are called by His name, will humble themselves, pray, seek His face, and quit living a life of brokenness, He can heal us. Say you have a individual that comes to you and they ask you in all of your great craftiness, hey, I have this, this china vase. I dropped it and broke it. Would you mind with all of your skill to take these pieces and put them back together again? And you're going to say, sure, I'll do my I can to help. And so you get out your hot glue gun and you get out your super glue and you get out your epoxy and you get out all your good stuff and you start mixing this and mixing that and and smearing it on there and tapping it on here and you put all the pieces intricately back together again and you give it back to your friend and so your friend comes to you just the very next day and says you know what i dropped it again and broke it can you can you put it back together and you're going to say, okay, I'll, do, I'll try. I'll do my best. It's, it's kind of messed up, but we'll see what we can do. And then you start putting it back together again. And you give it to them. And the very next day, they come to you and say, you know what? I, I don't know what my deal is, but I just dropped it and broke it again. It's not going to take very long before uh, you're going to say, you know what? Me putting this back together isn't really benefiting anybody. It's not benefiting you because you don't get to enjoy the beauty of your vase. It's It's broken. All the time. And I think this is the example I want to point out to us today in Scripture is God can't just keep putting us back together again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Let me rephrase that. He can, but that's not what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, Lord, today I come to you because, well, I fell down and I'm broken. And then a couple hours later, it's, Lord, you know what? You did a great job fixing me earlier. Now I'm coming to you again, Lord, because I'm broken. Lord, I'm coming to you again because I'm broken. And again because I'm broken. And again because I'm broken. Before long, God's going to say, hey, I told you in, your, in my word that you, I, my, you by my spirit can live an overcoming, victorious life. Why do you keep coming to me broken? And this is the call he gives to us in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from the things that cause you to continually over and over and over and over and over and over again to be broken. Let the master potter form you, shape you, reconstruct you, and then live for him with everything that is within you. Don't cause his hands to have to remake us over and over and over again. Maybe this gives us a new perspective this morning on what it means to turn from our wicked ways. It's not just the occult we're supposed to turn from. It's not just the big sins we're supposed to turn from. It's not just the, oh, that's, that's bad. It's anything that causes us to not live victoriously and as a whole in the kingdom. 
It's startling to realize the path of dysfunction that ungodly acts can leave behind us. If you have that china vase, it doesn't matter how masterful your hand is, there will always be fragments, tiny little fragments that have been lost forever that can't be put back together. Those tiny little voids will be filled with glue or filler, but they'll never be the original piece. And this is what happens when we try to put our own lives back together. We bring pieces and we bring this piece together and we bring life and we bring the, the, the tools and the glue of this world and we try to put all of our pieces back together. But when we look at the vessel, we still see it's been broken time and time and time and time again. We see every crack and we remember. I remember when that crack came from. I remember when the vase got broken right there. I remember that chip. I remember what, what broke that out. And we end up leaving this fragmented history behind us. Those decisions and those actions not only pollute our past, but it becomes the past that follows us and tries to fracture our future. It brings pain to us. It brings disappointment to us. It brings loss to us. It brings shame to us. It, it causes us to separate ourselves from God. I'm preaching to the church today. There are things that Christians have done in their lives that separate them from God. They carry it in their heart and they carry it in their spirit and they carry it in their mind and they say, well, I can't pray today because of this. Well, I don't really know if I want to read my Bible today or not because I know what the Word says and it's going to convict me about that. And all these little broken things in our life keep slowly polluting us and, and fracturing us and pushing us away from Jesus. And God says... The only way that I can really heal you, the only way I can work on you, and I can remove all the cracks, and I can remove all the fractures, and I can make you as though you had never been broken before, is if you quit living in wickedness. God's called us to turn from our wicked ways. It doesn't matter how dramatic it was. It doesn't matter how private the sin was. I want to tell you today, the blood of Jesus Christ can take care of it. It doesn't matter if everybody knows or nobody knows. It doesn't matter how this world ranks it, categorizes it, lists it. Sin is sin, and the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to forgive our sin. And the Bible says when we're buried in his name, it remits our sin. There's something about the remission of sins. It's beautiful. He takes that broken heart, that dirty heart, that unclean heart, and he cleanses it and makes it as though it's new and had never been broken before. This is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he separates the sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Oh, I want to preach to you guys some hope this morning. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We can probably all quote that. 
But can you quote verse 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I have an announcement. I have a news flash today. When the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and caused her to conceive and the Christ child to be born, this was the beginning of our redemption. God did not come incarnate in flesh so that he could put us down. God didn't show up so that he could emphasize our failures. He didn't come just so he could look at us eyeball to eyeball and condemn us to hell. God came to save us from our sin. God came to save us from ourselves. God came to deliver us from an eternity separated from him. God didn't come to condemn the world, but he came so that the world through him might be saved. Don't see him as the Lord standing over you with a stick just waiting to beat you down. That is not the image of God. He is an ever-loving and ever-patient and ever-long-suffering Savior. He's reaching out for you to save you. God didn't come to sentence you. God came to pardon you. So if you're here today, and there may be some things in your life that's causing brokenness, don't feel like God's standing over you. Just pointing out all your faults. Did you know there's a difference between conviction and condemnation? We should not walk by our feelings. We should walk by faith. And here's the reason we shouldn't walk by our feelings. Conviction and condemnation emotionally can feel very similar and maybe at times the same. But the difference is the source of the emotion. We live in a world today that's high on emotion, man. People make decisions for their whole life based upon the emotions they felt in the last 30 seconds. We got to get past that. Emotion is a lagging indicator. Emotion is a response to what's going on around us. And so when we begin to have the emotion and we feel this, this, this heaviness or this, this burden or this drawing in our spirit, we have, to, we have to take a moment. We need to recognize, is this condemnation or is this conviction? Great question. How do I know? The source. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Condemnation is, you're a failure. Look what you did. Look at this. Look at this part of your life that's broken. That's never going to come back together. You should be ashamed. That's awful. That's condemnation. That's Satan. That's the enemy. Trying to pull you down. Trying to box you in. Trying to close you down. Stealing your hope. Taking away any promise of a future. Condemnation. What's conviction? Maybe the same emotion... Maybe even highlighting the same things in our life. But the context of it is completely different. The source is completely different. It's God saying, hey, 
You see this little thing in your life right here? I want to get you a little, I want to get a little closer to you. I want to draw nearer to you in, in our relationship, but this thing's holding us up. If you could slide that out of the way, and if you could drop that, if you could, if you could let that go, if you let my grace cover that, and you'll let mercy cover that, and you'll let my love move beyond that, and you'll give that up, you and I can be closer in our relationship. We can draw nearer to each other. Here's the hope and the promise I have for you if that wasn't in the way. That's conviction. That's God drawing us nearer to him. That's his love pulling us out of the clay, the miry clay, and placing us on the potter's wheel and shaping us. Conviction looks at the fault in the craft and smashes it down and throws it back on the clay pile and says, worthless. But God says, no, 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 no. Here's just a little spot in the side of the vessel. I need to dig out this hard spot. I need to dig out this stone and work it in again. I need conviction in my life. I need the love of God calling me and drawing me in my life. People say, well, this is just all New Testament stuff. God's not always been like that. Oh, yeah? Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 9. I respect Nehemiah. He's known as the weeping prophet. He probably wept because he saw the abundant wickedness of Israel. And he knew the impending judgment that was coming upon Israel if they wouldn't repent. Because God sent him to be the voice that spoke to their wickedness. That's probably the number one reason why Nehemiah cried. He may have also cried because he had no converts. What a rough life. God called me to ministry my entire life and not one person got saved. What a hard road to, to live. But in the midst of all of the judgment, in the midst of all of the God speaking to the children of Israel, here's this little nugget I want us to grab in Nehemiah 9 and 17. Talking about the children of Israel. They refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your works that you did among them. But they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. What a picture of people who have rejected their God. But here's the voice of Nehemiah. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. I want to tell you today, if you've got anything in your life that's causing brokenness, you don't have to feel like you're completely separated from God. You don't have to feel like you're beyond God's pardon today or you're beyond the grace of God. He's here to reach out to you. He's here to touch you and transform you. He's here to give you hope and a new beginning and a new start. Christ specializes in fresh starts and new beginnings. The beautiful work of the cross isn't just a one-time experience in our lives. I need the blood often. I need the work of His Spirit often. I need His power moving in my life often and regularly.
when we realize what our past is and we decide to turn away from our wickedness, we are in, act, in essence accepting the hope that Jesus Christ brings to our future. You can't embrace the future while holding on to the past. But the moment you let go of the past, you have the full capacity to accept what Jesus Christ wants to do with you, for you, and through you. After the power of the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2, Peter began to preach. As he was preaching about Jesus Christ, he quoted Psalm 16. I want to read to you what, what Peter said while he was preaching. It's in Acts chapter 2, verses 26 through 28. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. I want to tell you today, if you've not experienced the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Holy Ghost, the, the fulfillment of having God in your life, today is your day to let go of the gloom and grab a hold of the grace. Today's your day to let go of the wicked and grab a hold of the righteous. Today's your day to let go of the fatigue of this world and grab a hold of the strength of God. Your heart can rejoice. Your world can be changed from gloom to gladness. Amen. Grab a hold of the hope of Jesus Christ. For he is the only eternal hope. He is the real hope of the world. If we put our eternal hope in anything else other than Jesus, we become disappointed. If you put your hope in the stock market, you're in for a ride. Your hope will quickly turn to disappointment. If you put your hope in humanity, it may be an even shorter trip down than the stock market. Because people are people. If you put your hope in a job... All it takes is one senior management to think that your position is not needed. You put your hope in anything in this world, it's all subject to change at the whelm of humanity. But if you put your hope in an eternal God, if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Put your hope in Jesus. It gives you an eternal, everlasting promise. He is forever with us. Yea and amen. His covenant. His promise to redeem us through the blood that He sacrificed and gave up. It doesn't change. There's no fine print that excludes you because of this and this and this and this. There's no, it doesn't exist. You can be made whole in Him today. There's no special addendum that you have to sign when you come to Jesus. Well, we know that you are a Christian and you've been going to church and you've been reading your word and you've had some, some heartaches and there's some brokenness and we need you to sign the the Christian brokenness addendum. 
we understand that you've not been the greatest of Christians, and so we need you to sign this addendum just to acknowledge that God needs to work in your life in a different way than the regular sinner. Ridiculous. To say that stuff out loud in public here on a Sunday morning sounds absolutely crazy. But how many times do we think these thoughts? How many times do we act this way? Well, I can't go to God and pray because of this. I can't do this because of that. And we've set all of these barriers around us. And he's just saying, turn from your wicked ways and come to me and surrender yourself to me. Let the blood of Jesus Christ work. Hey, God's word is good. We really don't need to add to that. God's word is good. It's not a lie, it's truth. It's not going to change, it's forever settled. His word is good. He follows through. And so now for you, grace, mercy, the love of God, and hope is available to all of us. Romans 5 and 5 tells us, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you'll not be disappointed, but you will be impressed. You will be encouraged. You will be uplifted by the power of His Spirit. So in the last 30 minutes or so, we've walked through what does it mean to be wicked? What does it mean to turn from our wicked ways? And what's the result of turning from our wicked ways? But as we go and wrap towards a close today, well, at least headed that direction. I want to give us the practical application for what it means to turn from our wickedness. How do I turn from my wickedness? How do I get rid of the stuff in my life that hurts us? Turning away from wickedness is rejecting the hurt and embracing the hope. Well, that's a beautiful quote. Just put it on a plaque and hang it in the living room. That doesn't help nobody, really. What does it mean to reject the hurt and embrace the hope? What is the practical application of that? Well, the act of turning away is defined in the word by a biblical word, repentance. To repent is twofold. Many in Christianity today have fulfilled the first definition of repentance. To come to God and to ask God for his forgiveness. But I'm fearful that not all of Christianity has embraced the rest of repentance. The rest of repentance, or if I may say in the words of Paul Harvey, the rest of the story is we must consciously and deliberately stop moving in the direction that we've been moving and change course and head in a different direction. Repentance is one, 
Lord, forgive me. Two, Lord, I commit to not continue living a life that causes brokenness. Here's how important repentance was. Repentance was the very first message Jesus ever preached. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. Here's Jesus preaching. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. To all those that say, I just want to believe what Jesus preached. I just want to do what Jesus preached. Well, Jesus said, repent. Let go of the brokenness. Let go of the wickedness in your life. Let your life be transformed by 